Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. My name is Brian Moran, and today I'm going to do something a little out of the ordinary. Most of the times I talk about small business and I talk to small business experts, um, but uh, this podcast is a special one and it's scheduled to air on World Mental Health Day, which has significant meaning to me. Uh, my guest for the show today is my son, Robert. He's 25 years old and he's been bravely battling mental health, mental illness now for five years. And when I talked to him recently and I told him that World Mental Health Day was coming up, uh, he said, you know, Dad, we should do something to recognize it. And when I asked, okay, what do you want to do? He said, how about we do a podcast together and we'll talk about mental illness. And I, I thought it was a brilliant idea. And so here we are. And and with that, I want to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, my son, Robert. Robert, welcome. Hey, Dad. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, Robert. How are you doing? Oh, okay. You yeah. know, hanging in there. Uh, Good, good. So, you know, you've listened to a lot of my podcasts. How does it feel to be a guest on the show? It feels really special, you know. All right, um, good. I often talk about the bond between father and son, and this is a unique way to, you know, use that bond. Right. And we're going to record this for all eternity. So hopefully I don't say anything stupid that you yeah. make fun of me for, for years to come. Yeah. All right. So listen, um, and I appreciate, I really do appreciate you coming on the show and and being brave enough to talk about, you know, how you've battled mental health and mental illness for the past five years. And, um, you know, I think it's important. You know, I think that there are a lot of our listeners um, who either have mental illness or somebody in their family does. And as we both know, that it becomes a day-to-day situation when you're dealing with mental illness. Uh, so I'm going to read a couple of statistics to you, and then I want to ask you my first question. Okay. In 2018, Robert, over 47 million Americans experienced some form of mental illness. That is one in five people. And kids ages 6 to 17, one in six kids experienced some sort of mental health disorder last year. Lastly, over 11 million adults experienced a serious mental illness in 2018. So my first question to you, Robert, is what the hell is happening to our country? It's a great question, Dad. Um, I, I remember having like sad thoughts as, as young as 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're not really understanding what the sadness meant. But um, in our country, you know, there's, there's not enough... Um, there's plenty of stigma and not enough advocacy. So okay. that's, uh, that's something to, you know, really point out. And, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, you know, and, and I, when, when it first happened to you and we'll talk about your, your mental break in, in November of 2014, but when it first happened to you, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to say anything until we get past this as, as if it was like, you broke your leg, and in six months you'll be fine. I even have notes that talk about, um, you know, because I kept a journal and and how when everything happened in November 2014, I said, well, he's going to take the rest of the semester off and go back to school next semester. 
And I was just amazed at how ignorant I was about mental health and, and what it really what it really meant when, when it when it happened. Um, so let's talk about you. Let's let's talk about your story. OK. Right. <clears throat> what happened? How how tell me about high school. Tell me about college. Tell me about, you know, what led to your break in, in November of 2014. Well, I, I battled depression all through high school mm -hmm. um, without really truly understanding what it was. I just thought I was sad and I was, you know, bullied a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason I didn't know that I was suffering from depression is because it just became a part of my personality. Um, right. You know, the, the sadness. And I right. didn't talk about it with my parents, you know, you and mom, because um, – I, I just didn't know I was depressed. And I think a lot of people, you know, struggle with that, not knowing they're depressed, like they have depression. So what mental health advocates will do is they'll do depression checkups where, you know, you kind of, you go in, you take this written exam. It's not an exam. It's, a, it's just a, like a test to see if you have depression. And then it's like, you know, if you can, if you can do that and just feel happy again, um, then why not? Right. Right, and then going forward into college, uh, I had a lot of friends mm -hmm. um, in my first semester, and then you know they weren't the right people for me, and I'm I'm still looking for my tribe, you know, my tribe of people, but that it was about finding myself, um, right, which resulted in extreme loneliness in the end, right. Right. Uh, I, did, I, I was taking prescription Adderall. So, you know, you, you went through high school and, and you had, you felt like you had a decent high school experience, but there was some underlying sense of that something wasn't right, right? You were, you were dealing with depression and some anxiety. And yeah. uh, there, then you got to college and, you know, you went to a small school uh, upstate New York and um, it was a it was a privileged college. I mean, you know, the kids who who went to school there came from well to do backgrounds. Yep. And um, there was a lot of cliques, and there was a lot of, as you said, you know, people walking across campus looking at their phones as if they were looking at their shoes. Sometimes they not just even looking at a cell phone, just looking at their shoes. Even if they didn't have their cell phone out, yeah, but they just wanted to avoid making contact. Yeah, and, and uh, so, and, and so, also, I you know seasonal depression, right? You know, right. Being, Were you aware? Were you aware of that, or did you did you feel like something was changing? That co maybe college wasn't what you expected it to be. I mean, that happens to everybody, right? You yeah, know, you go away from home for the first time. And you have all these high expectations and suddenly it's not what you thought it was going to be. Well, to segue that, like, um, I've heard you say before, like, uh, well, how do I phrase this? Um, I got really high marks my first semester mm -hmm. and throughout the next four or five semesters, my grades just kept slipping and I mm -hmm. couldn't figure it out. And it's directly correlated to my mental health. Okay. So now you're, you're in your junior year and you are living alone the first two months, right? And then your uh, friend of yours invited you to live in their house. Yeah. But by that time, and you were taking prescription Adderall. Yeah. And it, things got tougher. And so you decided to 
double down on your dose, right? So that right. you could keep up. And then you added a third dose to your daily regimen of taking Adderall, right? About and what, what happened then? 90 milligrams of Adderall. I remember the doctor saying, I don't understand how you're still walking. Uh, Yeah, you took took 90 milligrams for about two weeks, right? And what happened in those two weeks? I stayed awake for four days and it ended in me listening to the wall in my college dorm room, laying, staring at the ceiling, hallucinating with Roger Rabbit going on the TV. And that was the craziest that ever had happened. Right. Craziest it ever got. I hadn't slept in four days. Right, and and that you it was at that time that you kind of had this mental break, right? Yeah. And what happened? So we had a break, and then you started hearing voices, yeah, talking to you, auditory hallucinations, and and you went to a school counselor. What happened? Um, she said to me. I went in there and I said, and I, I, I very confidently disclosed that I was hearing voices. And she said, wow, that sounds scary. You should come back tomorrow at the beginning of office hours. Like she wouldn't give me 15 minutes just to, you know, kind of like check in with me. You know, it was the end of the workday and she was, she was done. She was going home. So, you know, the story about the Pink Floyd and the Roger Rabbit is ultimately what happened that night. And, you know, with a little psychiatric help, I could have it could have easily been avoided. What the whole mental break? The whole mental break, yeah. I I don't know if that's possible, and and not the and, whole mental okay. break, but you know, maybe a look like the some early on support. Yeah, I think that's critical. I, you're 100 percent correct. I think that you know the more the more people can do before somebody has a mental break, I think um, is critical. And, and, you know, once the damage is done, I've described it as kind of like a, uh, a pressure cooker going off in your head and all of the anxiety and stress and things that happened to you in your life kind of exploded. And now they're lying there in fragments and, yeah. and those auditory hallucinations and to me are nothing more than the fragments that still remain in your head. And yeah. so, so this, this woman says, basically go take two aspirin and come back tomorrow. Do, yeah, do you think colleges exactly and so do colleges and universities understand the magnitude of the problem on campuses today? And, and let me expand on that. There's a lot of pressure facing college students today, and I know this as the parent of four kids, two who've gone through college and two are still in college. You know, you're leaving home for the first time. You're trying to make new friends. You're looking to fit in, and you see on social media that all oh, your other friends, your high school friends are supposedly having a great time at their schools. Like they're not going to post their anxieties, their stresses or anything like that. They're just going to post the parties, right? Yeah. So is college just today? And, and you know, obviously social media and the internet didn't exist when, when I was in school uh, in the 1800s. Right. Um, but is college today just one big pressure cooker for students? Uh, it can be very stressful. It, you know, going back uh, or looking back, I think I would have taken a, a gap year uh, just to kind of like, you know, grow a little bit before I 
took on the great endeavor of college and uh right. I, it is a pressure cooker and social media is so topical um you just you really need to take a social media cleanse that's what right. i did it was three months in college i didn't have a cell phone um and i, I would send emails to you and mom i called it sunday right. fun day you know oh, yeah. i just reach out to everyone in the family and see how they were doing and uh I did fine, you know, without social media. And I very rarely use it now. Right. I know when you've been on it and, you know, you're looking at your friends who have gone on with their lives, right? Who have graduated from yeah. college. Some have even gotten married. Some who are engaged. Yep. Some who are living in other cities. And I know that that feeling, I can tell when, when you get depressed and you think, okay, I'm still here. I haven't moved forward. And I remind you that life is a marathon, you know, life is not about, you know, measuring yourself against other people because we'll always find somebody who's more handsome, prettier, more money, more successful, be in better shape, has a better girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or whatever. And and that's just, uh, uh, you know, and, and I think social media in many ways for kids just adds to that stress. And, yeah. I, and I can see it in you and I can see it in our other kids. You know, thankfully – our two youngest, my two youngest kids haven't embraced social media quite the way that my two older kids did. Right. Would you agree? I would agree. Um, I mean, it, you know, the era of Facebook coming out at the end of, uh, I remember it came out <clears throat> while I was in middle school. And then, so I kind of grew up with social media. And, right. Uh, it's, it's like, it's very easy to live without it. You know, I mean, once you remove it from your life and you see what it's like without it, you're not missing right. anything. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I wish that, that more young adults, you know, more of the, you know, millennials and Gen Z learn that, that there's so much more to life than the, you know, the screen on your phone and the, and that, that. You know, you just need to open your eyes and see it. All right, let's do this. I want to pivot just a little bit because now we've, so we've talked about your high school and your college career. We talked about, you know, what, what led to your mental break. And so now you're home and definitely one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me and mom in our lives, um, you know, to see your oldest child struggling the way that you did. Um, was, you know, it was, it just, it literally blew up any comfort zone that we ever had that, that we had built for, you know, in our lives. And, yeah. um, you know, and I'm going to touch on a, on a really, uh, kind of a tender topic right now and it's suicide. Right. So, um, you know, we, we, you see a lot of kids who, you know, kids that you and I know, Robert, who have who passed away and taken their lives. And, you know, you didn't. And I, I thank God every single day that you didn't. And my question is, why? Why didn't you? That that oh, certainly has come up in, in the last five years. But, tell, you know, any any thoughts on, on why you're still here? Um. Two two things helped me with that because 
uh, although it doesn't really come up in my life anymore, I have contemplated. Um, it's not my life to take. It's your life. It's mom's life. It's Justine, Jean, and Nora's life. You know, it's our, it's it's everyone you know who's ever loved me. It's uh, you know the people all around me. It's their life. It's not my life mm-hmm. to take. That's the it's, that's it's, what helps. That's what helps me. And also right. uh, okay. the song from Les is Ra, um, "One Day More." You know, one yeah. one day more to see what our God in heaven has in store. I say that to myself every night when I go to bed and every morning when I wake up. It helps me get through the night and it helps me get through the morning or the day. Right. Right. And and I admire that in you. I mean, there's so much that I admire in you. There, there, are, there are days where you drive me crazy. And, and we'll probably yeah. talk about that in a little bit. But I always take a step back. And that's something that I've learned so much from you. And it's to understand the crosses that we all bear. You know, most people never show the cross that they bear to others, whether it's their own struggles or struggles of a family member. They just keep it to themselves. And you have been very open about your struggles and you shared it with them. You've made fun of it. You've joked around with other people about it. And, and I've, I've just always admired your courage to face the struggles that have been in front of you and have, you've just never given up. So you've always inspired me, um, you know, in that sense. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome, Robert. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the medical and the pharmaceutical industries. And okay. their approach to dealing with mental health. And I think this is an important topic. You were misdiagnosed when you first came home. Uh, for, yeah. for a couple of years, they thought you uh, were suffering from schizophrenia. And you have bounced from doctor to doctor, therapist to therapist, hospital to hospital. What has that been like? How, how many doctors have you think, do you think you've seen in the last five years? A lot. I don't have an exact number, but it's a lot. None, none of them could help. Not one of them helped. It took a lot of uh, due diligence um, on on your part, Dad, and um, also uh, it was like it was like eleven hospitals. Is that right? Eleven hospital stays. Um, also, you know, getting like psychiatry is like an art form. So you have to find the right amount of chemicals for your brain. And right. we, we figured it out finally. Um, I, uh, well, on- but, but in those five years, you know, it was, I can tell you, it was, I think, 15 or 16 doctors, yep. probably the same number of therapists, 11 hospitalizations, and a whole medicine cabinet times three of pretty – Heavy duty prescription drugs, yeah, and and it was, it was an enigma. Yeah, well, and that is mental health. Mental yeah. health, in so many cases, is like throwing darts in the dark against the wall and trying to hit the bullseye. Yeah, um, and but but being misdiagnosed and us fighting with physicians about the misdiagnoses. You know, we we finally found a doctor who 
Remember, they gave you that kind of like that Rorschach test, the one that was about two or three hours. And it, as, right. the, as the woman said, and she was a saint, said, we're going we're gonna to unbundle Robert. You know, we're not going to prescribe anything. We're going to figure out what, you know, what's going on here and, and yeah. treat him as a human being and stop, you know, just filling him with, with different drugs to see what works and what doesn't. And, and my personal opinion is, you know, if, if, the, if the medical and pharmaceutical industry, you know, all went down on a boat like the Titanic, it, it wouldn't be the worst day in the world. I, I have, I have, I mean, there are some doctors and some therapists, I think, who are lifesavers. I think there are a lot of them who should turn in their degrees and go find other licenses. jobs. What? Their license. Turn in their license and go, go make ice cream or make pizza. I, I, I just have a, um, a, a personal disrespect for so many of these people who, you know, and, they, and they part use of me, it's part of it's a guinea pig. They do, they do. I, I never forget one guy. You know, he says, "Oh, that didn't work. Oh, let's try this." And I said, "What about the weaning process?" Ah, don't worry about that. And I thought to myself, "Yeah, of course, because it's not you and it's not your son." But you know, and a lot of these doctors, you know, you bounce from doctor to doctor to doctor, and they don't know your history, and so they're starting from square one. And that's when I realized early on that we needed to keep very detailed journals of your hospitalization, of your medical records, of the drugs that you were taking, and you know, keep copies of all of the reports when you left the hospital. I, I you know, I, I I applaud you for, you know, keep going back. I think we have a good doctor now though. Do you agree? I agree. He's very good. We just need to find a, a good therapist too. So anyone out there listening, that yeah, uh, please, good uh, <laughs> video conference. Yeah, I, I would love. I would love for somebody who's listening to this podcast who thinks that they might be able to work with you or know somebody who can work with you. Uh, we're, we're open to suggestions. All right, let's talk a bit, little bit about um, work. What, what has it been like to try and work over the last five years? I mean, you, you started working at an early age, right? Like 13, 14 years old. Yeah, 13. Then, okay, 15. And then 13. Uh, and then mental your, your mental break happened. And, and what has it been like since then? You've, you've had a dozen jobs, but none seemed to last. Yeah, um, working, working with mental illness is hard. Um, you know, cause there's like, there's parts of the day where the only thing, you know, that could possibly possibly get you through the day is like, either you know, like a cup of coffee or maybe just a walk, and you know, you couldn't even imagine being at work, right? And you have to fight through that, and it's just so uncomfortable, and it's really hard, but it takes time, and it will get better. Um, but talking about the employer. You know, and the stigma of mental illness. In some states, you have to uh, write if you're. You have to say if you're disabled with bipolar, mm -hmm. um, which we actually didn't talk about this, but uh, that's what I have. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I think I think that's kind of, you know, that that should be up to the person, not not really 
a requirement to write on a is is it called a W four dad W two Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I, I when you fill out an employment application, yeah, an employment application. Right. Um, I think it kind of it's stigmatizing. So right, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, um, the employers that you worked for while you were dealing with sure. them were they were they they nice to you? Did they understand what you were going through? Or did you kind of keep uh, it from them? The 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 war inside my body um, was too strong to actually even you know give a damn about what my employer thought. Yeah, you know, there were days where I'd work for two days and quit because that's all I could do. Right. Um, and then there was I, I haven't I, I've had trouble. I've had a lot of trouble finding a job. So. Yeah. I remember there was one woman who was incredibly empathetic to you and you struggled. And she said, it's okay. You know, you go home and you can come back tomorrow. Do you remember that woman? I remember. And, and you just walked in and you just said, I I can't do this anymore. And she said, I understand. And if you ever want to come back, you'll have a job. Do you remember that? I remember that. Yeah. I want to say that that woman must have been a caregiver that she understood yeah. what you were going through and she recognized how strong you were trying to overcome what you were dealing with. And I she, always said- She like, smiled on my character. She what? She smiled on my character. Yes. You know, who I was yeah. as a person. Exactly. What about, what? now you had a lot of customer facing jobs, right? What, yeah. what how, were, how were, you have a, a pretty funny story. You were a cashier, right? And uh, in a supermarket. And uh, what, what did one customer tell you? That I should go back to bagging school. <laughs> Pretty funny. It was, a, it was an older woman, right? Yeah, it was an older woman. <laughs> and you came home and you told me that and you laughed. Do you remember? I, I remember I you really laughing laugh. and I thought to myself, okay, you find humor in this. And that is, yeah. you know, such a key ingredient for life. You know, I always say yeah. that a good night's sleep and laughter are, and love are three elements in dealing with whatever is ailing us at the moment. I realized I can find the same sense of achievement in, that you get from working a job because I was so impressed with myself that I was able to finish work that day. But I get the same sense of achievement from finishing a small book, right? maybe 150, 200 pages. And it could be any kind of book or any kind of reading. And it will give you the sense of achievement you're looking for. That's a great point. That's a great point. You, you know, you. I think you and I talked about this once, and I can't remember who used the uh, kind of a metaphor. But you know, dealing with mental illness is like um, like somebody who's trying to do something and their rear end is on fire. You know, yeah. and and I'm telling you, you know, go up to bat and hit a home run, and you say, okay, I can hit. 10 home runs, but I got to first put out the fire on my ass, right? right. Or, you, you you know, you want me to, you know, clean the garage or you want me to mow the lawn, but I can't do that because my rear end's on fire, right? And and, and that's kind of like what me- dealing with mental illness is like on a daily basis, yeah. right? Yeah, that's and, true. And, and there are some days when the fire is under control and there are some days when the fire is just raging. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dad. I've learned a thing or two since we've gone through this together. Yeah. Um, okay. 
I, I want to focus a little bit now on on the, my listeners, who are largely business owners of small and mid-sized companies. Sure. And given how prevalent mental illness is in America, I know that there are people who are listening who may or may not realize it, that there are employees in their company or maybe there are uh, people in their family who are dealing with mental illness right now. Right. Um, what what can companies do to help their employees who are dealing with mental illness, either personally or as a caregiver? What, what would you tell uh, them? Just, just advocacy. Advocacy and, like I said earlier, the mental health checkup. Right. Because they can test for other, other things too. And if you catch it early, it's a lot easier to treat than later on. Is um, of mania, of paranoid delusions, so a litany of things. Right. Um, it's just advocacy, caring for your loved one is so important. You know, know that you love them. One of my favorite quotes is, "Love me even though I don't deserve it." Right. Um, well, wow, that powerful. really has helped me a lot. Yeah. And and you you always deserve it. You know, one of the things that that I I say often is, you know, you didn't ask for this. You know, so yeah. when when we talk to people in the family and stuff like that and friends, you know, I say, just so you know, Robert Robert didn't request this. You know, this is something that happened to him that he is now dealing with, and he's dealing with it bravely and courageously and compassionately when he talks to other people. So, um, and, and, you know, to your point, I think that, you know, if you have somebody who's a quality worker and you start to see that their, their work is slipping and maybe they're not getting done the work that they normally did, you know, and there's something wrong, you know, I think, you know, they're going to try and hide, uh, you know, their situation again, whether it's happening to them or somebody in their family. But I think just giving them the outlet to talk about it, they'll appreciate that. They, you know, there's that sense of trust. I trust you with this and, and you're going to help me and I'll help you back and our relationship will grow. As opposed to if I tell you that my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife is, is dealing with mental illness right now. And, you know, I think you're going to, you know, you're going to fire me. Are you gonna you gonna let me go? Are you gonna take work away from me to the point where it's just you know it's it's a negative on top of a negative, right? It, it, how, yeah. how, it's so important for companies, especially small and mid sized companies, where it's sometimes it's hard to find the best and ret- you know retain the best talent. And guess what? Right. Sometimes those talented people are dealing with mental illness, right? Yeah, I would just say you know. Uh, forget the stigma and you know give give someone someone like me a chance. Right, you you have a lot to offer, Robert. You you really do, and and I've said that over and over again that you, your day will come. So let, let we're going to wrap this up in a, in a couple of minutes. But let's let's talk about uh, what are some of your biggest takeaways from the last five years. Give me one takeaway. I learned the power this. of the human spirit. Power of the human spirit. What have you learned about the power of the human spirit? Um, in in my in my so my what I've struggled with is uh, just like stuff that seems 
like you know how your mind can play tricks on you. Oh yeah. So some some evil stuff uh, was kind of like on a cinema roll, cinema reel, um, playing playing out in my mind. Right. And I didn't want to go through it, but you know, do you have a choice when it's happening to you the way? You know, mental illness happens to us. So the answer is no. So I just started, you know, realizing the power of the human spirit and what we can endure. And I can't tell you how many nights I've had to, you know, I've sweat through my shirt, you know, cold sweat, just the absolute rawest fear you yeah. could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having to uh, change shirts and then sweat through that shirt. Yeah. Um, so I, I want you to say one thing, and that's the power of the human spirit and what we're able to endure. That's your biggest takeaway. That's my biggest takeaway, yeah. I would totally agree. I would agree that you know when the body says no and the mind says no, the human spirit says, we're, we're going to try this one more time. You yeah. know, when, when the body says, I, I can't make it, I, I can't deal with this anymore, and the mind tells you the same thing, you know, that the human spirit is our connection to God. And God will right. never let us down. He will never give us something that we can't handle or can't bear, even when it seems like we can't. I don't think he's ever given me anything I can't endure. Yeah. Well, you're here and you're stronger now than you were five years ago. And so is, oh, so am I. Yeah. So is mom. So are your siblings. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let's, let's end this. Let's talk about faith a little bit because it's, sure. faith has played such an important role in our lives over the last five years. Yeah. And it sounds like your faith has really helped you manage the day-to-day struggles, right? Yeah. Any any thought on why God might have chosen you to carry this particular cross? Every night I'd say to God, send me an angel, you know, just to protect me. Um, you know, I pray to my guardian angel, God I'd say, God, where's my guardian angel? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just hearing the most demonic things you could ever imagine right you know, the cruelty and the evil and uh, i'm in such a good place now um it, you know this is a little controversial but i i was raised catholic i am a catholic and um you know i speak to angels now right uh, and i've spoken to angels my for most of my life but um they finally come forward and they help me with my faith and i've actually never been happier so i've overcome and I've, I've brought my cross of mental illness to Calvary. And now, I, now I'm, you know, re- somewhat relieved of my burden. I, I would agree. I don't think we could have this podcast a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. I don't think we could either. Yeah. I don't, I, we weren't in a position, you know, and you think about the hell that we have been through. And that we're all now stronger because of it. I think we're more compassionate. We're more understanding. We're more forgiving. We're more loving now than we have ever been. So, all right, last question. Sure. Tell me some of your goals for next year. Dad, it's almost the end of the decade. (laughs) All right. Well, 2020 starts in in less than three months. What What do you want to happen in 2020? I'm going to run 150 miles by Memorial Day weekend next year. All right. Not all at once, right? Not all at once, no. All right. All right. Um, so let's see if I can do that. So That's I'm, a great goal. You know, 
Any anything yeah. else, or you're you're good? If you can do that, um, I'm gonna work on meditation. Okay, because um, you know, I've actually I've actually got this great thing going right now, where I can meditate for almost five minutes. Okay, um, and just continue with my faith. What about you, Dad? You know, I just. Robert, every day is a gift for me. It really is. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that I've learned, my biggest takeaway from the last five years. So I'm just grateful for every day. You know, I've got yeah. some goals for my business. I've got some goals for my my personal health. You know, nothing that, that I haven't wished for every single year uh, for the last probably 20 years. But I am I am just so thankful for everything that I have and – I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I've got great family. I've got, you know, three dogs that drive me crazy. And, uh, but I've got tremendous support. And so all I want to do is help others achieve their goals. That would give me tremendous happiness. So to get you to run 150 miles, if I can help you in any way, that would be my bucket list. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome, Robert. The last last thing is I would say is like, you know, we have such an amazing relationship and you know, just to just like continue strengthening our bond. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know what? And 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 for the listeners out there who are still listening to us, you know, this has not been easy. You know, this there's been a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, a lot of Things that got said over the last five years that I know I wish I never said. And Robert, I know you wish you never said. And that's just part of what, you know, dealing with mental health is. It puts you in a place that you just never could imagine being in. And it's something that we deal with every single day. Sometimes it's hourly. Sometimes it's minute by minute when things are bad. But we're learning and we're growing and we're seeing the big picture. Right, we survived the worst, and now we're moving towards our mountaintop moment. You know, the the day that you and I can say we just finished mile one hundred and fifty. Right? Yeah. Think about that. Think about that. Then maybe we'll get that Dublin Marathon in. Yeah, maybe next October. I, I've been saying it for the last five years. Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to wrap this up, Robert. Thank you for your courage and for taking time today to share your story. As, you know, a business owner and a caregiver of someone bravely battling mental illness, I understand that it's an everyday situation and that we don't get days off. I also understand that, you know, it's important that we continue to have these open discussions to remove the stigmas of mental health. We must remind ourselves that the 47 million people in America currently suffering from mental health issues all have one thing in common. They did not ask for this. They did not ask for depression or anxiety or bipolar or PTSD or schizophrenia. It's something that happened to them. Uh, We cannot turn a blind eye to those who are in pain. So, Let's all make this part of our bucket list for 2020. Let's work together to make next year a better year for everyone. I'm grateful to my son. I'm grateful to my family. I'm grateful to you, my listeners, and I appreciate you listening to our story today. Now we can say goodbye. Robert, thank you. Bye, Dad. 
You've been listening to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.